thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Boy, is that for sure. You and I can't even handle the evil of today, let alone borrowing the evil of tomorrow. Living our lives in anxiety and anxiousness of of waiting for some doom to come or some bad thing to come. We can't handle what goes on today. By the way, that care for tomorrow will cause you not to pay attention to today. Have you ever seen that? Especially somebody who has severe anxiety and depression issues. They have that and then all of a sudden they wake up and they realize, wow, weeks have went by, months have went by, years have went by. Yeah. Yeah. It's because you're not living in reality. It's something that the Bible warns us about that we're to be careful of, that we're to be cautious of. So we'll get back into these reasons here. Let's pray. Father, Lord, help us. We pray that you teach us. Thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you for this church. Thank you that we can be together, that we can fellowship together. We can gather around the word together. We can pray together. We can sing together. We can play instruments together to the glory of God together. Lord, we can uh, eat together. And Lord, you give us life and breath and all these things and heaven too. Thank you, Lord, for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. The sixth reason, your heavenly Father knoweth. Your, the, the, the sixth reason against this anxiety about the future is because God, our heavenly Father, is infinite in wisdom and knows all our wants. It is the property of a wise and a tender father to provide for the necessities of his children. And not superfluities for his children, not nonsense and things that they shouldn't have, right? But to provide for them their needs. Not to expect the former is an offense to his goodness. By the way, if you don't expect God to take care of you, 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 are, offend, you are being offensive towards God's goodness. You are offending the goodness of God. You're speaking against it. You're saying that God's not going to take care of you. You're living as though. You would never say that. But in your mind, if you you begin to worry and give over to those anxieties, you are questioning whether God will take care of you. That is a question. That is an offensive thing to do to your Heavenly Father. Right? We are warned you cannot serve God and mammon. And little faith is tempted to do both. To focus on all the anxieties of the world and not on the God who cares for us. It's very easy to do. You are not the lost Gentile world, but you are children of God. And God will take care of His own. Consider this, the Bible warns us. It means for us to diligently consider. To lay it to earnest understanding to our hearts. And let your confidence be unshaken in the God of infinite bounty and love. The God that never fails anyone. Listen, we cannot speak, we cannot preach enough, and we cannot meditate enough upon God's goodness, upon how, how well God takes care of His own. We cannot. You'll begin to, the love, your love for God will begin to grow when you continue to remember who He is and how He conducts Himself. How He, how he does things. How good of a, that he is, he is first to His children a father. And because he is a father, he is always there to meet his children's needs. No man ever outdone God. No man will ever outdo God. No man is able to ever do that. It's important for you to remember that. 
Your whole worldview has changed since you've been saved. Before the Gentile world, they, ran after, they run after the things of the world. Now, I understand that Jesus is speaking to the saved Jews in front of him, his disciples, right? And he's speaking to his church. And at that time, they were Jewish, right? So he's comparing them to the Gentile world, right? And he's making that comparison. But it's not wrong for us to make the same comparison because we are the Lord's church, Albeit we are not Jewish in that sense, but that doesn't make any difference. The same truth applies to us. That God is that Jesus is saying, You are children of God. God is your father. And because God is your father, he takes care of his own. And you ought to remember what God does for his own children. And your whole worldview is different now than it was before. When you were lost, it was can all I can get and get all I can can, right? I got to take it all. I want everything, right? To run after everything in this world and to sell yourself over to everything in this world to make your flesh happy. Right? But you cannot serve God and mammon. You must obey one and neglect the other. God doesn't forbid us to labor, to maintain our support, to preserve our lives. Nor does He forbid all thought and care about it. God doesn't say don't ever care about it. Or we're not walking around stoic like we don't care about anything. Of course we care, right? We care about uh, how we're going to eat and stuff like that. And we care enough to do something about it, right? We go to work. We do the things we're supposed to do. We obey the Lord. We follow Him, right? And God is gracious to us. But all anxious, immoderate, perplexing, and distressing thoughts and cares such as arise from diffidence and unbelief. And they tend to despair, which are dishonorable to God as the God of nature and providence and uncomfortable to me as a Christian, right? I'm not supposed to think that way. I'm not supposed to live my life like that. I'm not, okay, those thoughts are going to come in. Every single one of us are going to have thoughts of, of fear and worry and concern and all that's Jesus didn't say you're never going to have those thoughts. You're not supposed to meditate on those things. You're supposed to meditate on the goodness of God. You're supposed to meditate on God taking care of you. The presence of those thoughts aren't sinful. The giving over to the despair of those things and then meditating on those things and then worrying about those things and becoming over anxious about those things and not praying about those things is what's wrong. This is what Jesus warns against. Your thoughts are in the wrong place. Your thoughts ought to be on God and who your Father is. The answer to little faith when it comes to daily needs of food and raiment is to look to God's creation and look to His care for His own. You are commanded not to worry. That's what that anxiousness is talking about. You're commanded not to worry. Not to have anxious care that creates so much unbelief in the heart that it weighs down the Christian and makes him unprofitable. There are people that get so worried about everything that's going on. I mean, conspiracies, uh, stuff that's going on in this world. They, they can't be around anybody. They just go become hermits somewhere. They don't want to be around anybody. Why? Because they give over to that stuff. Well, how are you profitable to anybody then? You're to be the light of the world. You don't hide a light, right? The light shines. You know what differentiates us old-fashioned Baptists from the Amish and the Mennonites and all those other groups? 
a number of things, but one thing in particular. Jesus told us as His church, you go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You be a light and a testimony to a lost and dying world. You don't go hide out in some, uh, some land or property somewhere away from everybody. Like you're going to go hide out from the Antichrist. You're going to go hide out from the government. You're going to go, you ain't hiding from nothing. By the way, I'm going to tell you something. If you're a child of God, He ain't going to let you hide. God won't let us hide like that. He will bring it to light. God doesn't let His people just sit there and do that and not have any testimony and light to anybody else. You were saved to glorify God. You were saved to give Him praise and glory. Your life is to be a testimony, which means you're to be out there preaching the gospel, living a holy, separated life, and being obedient unto the Lord. That's, that's what God called you to do. Not to go hide it somewhere and go run off and hide somewhere. Right? No, you're called to be a witness for Him. You know, all believers can have those fits of unbelief. We see it in the Scriptures. Elijah, John the Baptist, others. Taken by fits of unbelief and little faith. Little faith must be instructed in this fashion when it comes to our daily needs. When you start fussing about all those daily needs, you must follow God's instructions. If God so clothed the grass of the field. Something simple as grass. God uses as an illustration Christ does to show you that it's really foolish for you to fear like that. Christ confounds both the luxury of the rich in their superfluities and the distrust of the poor as to the necessities of life. Let man who is made for God and eternity learn from a flower of the field how low the care of providence stoops. All our inquietness and distrust proceeds from lack of faith that supplies all wants. Jesus said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. All of them. The seventh reason against these worldly cares and fears is because the business of our salvation ought to engross us entirely. All our desires, all our cares, all our inquiries ought to tend to grace. Grace is the way to glory. Holiness, the way to happiness. If men be not righteous, there is no heaven to be had. If they be, they shall have heaven and earth too. For godliness has the promise of both lives. Look what the Bible says. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. If you, want to, if you wish to be happy, then you must be holy. Now we know that Christ makes us judicially holy in heaven. Right? But we're to walk in that sanctification on this earth. We're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. There is no Christian alive on this earth that's a blood bought saint that will ever be happy in a filthy life. They will never be happy living filthy. I, I can promise them according to the scriptures, you'll never be happy living filthy. You'll never be happy like that. Why? You can't be. Because you're made to be holy. You were saved to live a holy life. That's why He saved you. If you wish to have happiness, you must have holiness. You must walk in holiness. I'm not talking about judicially. I know that comes from heaven. That comes from what Jesus did for us. I'm talking about sanctification in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit. Right? 
You will never be happy if you are not holy. You remember that. You children who have had the truth given to you, you remember that as you grow older. You will never be happy if you do not walk in holiness. Holy people, holy Christian people are happy people. They are the happiest people you will ever meet in your life. They have the most joy out of anybody you will ever meet. You say, but they, but they are mixed with sorrow. Of course they are, because so was Jesus when he was here. He was completely holy, and he was also full of sorrow. And so will you be in this world. But, but your joy no man taketh from you. There's a part of me that a prison cell can't touch. There's a part of me that a terrorist can't touch. There's a part of me that if I lose everything this world has, and I very well could, amen? I very well could. Everything that I have, my family and everything, there's a part of me that nothing can touch. Why? Because it's heaven wrought. It's the Holy Ghost of God. It's the, it's the earnest and the down payment of my salvation. And no matter if all hell breaks loose, if the earth opens up and swallows everything up, I know my soul is fixed on eternity and it belongs to the Lord. And there's nothing anything in this temporal world can do to change that at all, period. And that's why the saint of God must be strong in his faith and he must walk in holiness. Everything that you do in this life ought to be about your spiritual walk with God in that sense. It ought to be, how does this help or hurt my walk with God? Is, is, the, design, is, the, is the direction of my life Christ-honoring? That's what it ought to be. It, by the way, it, it isn't about, well, what do I really want to do? You know what? There are so many Christians that live their life, but well, this is what I want to do. Well, who really cares what you want to do? You and I are bought and paid for with a price. You really think us men want to go out there and we get really super excited about preaching to a bunch of sodomites that want to rape us? I mean, you think we really want, like, they hate us so much they'd cut our heads off in the streets if they could get away with it? Like, that's exciting to us in that sense? Like, we, we want to obey the Lord, yeah, but we don't enjoy the the wickedness that's around us. We don't enjoy seeing the. In fact, we go home and we, we're so thankful to be away from those women, away from those people, and back home and be like, man, I just want to go home. I just want to be around, I just want to be around real women. I want to be around real men. I want to be around real Christian people. I do not want to be around these people anymore. Not that I hate them. I'm not better than them, but I'm better off than they are. Right? And that's why we go and that's why we preach. But everything we do in our life as a Christian, it ought not be fixed on, well, how am I going to get money and how am I going to do this and how am I going to do that? Man, I, I've been talking to a couple that I haven't talked to for years and, and I, I've been contacted by them and talking with them and, and they've chased money all around the country and all this other stuff and they're the most miserable sounding people I've ever heard. I mean, they're miserable. Marriage is a shambles. Miserable. Mm-hmm. Well, you think with all that money and have, being able to buy a new truck and a new car and buy this and buy that and have this, yeah, but you can't make that soul happy at night. Well, deep down when you go to bed at night, you can't make that soul happy. Oh, no, you can't make the... the the, th- that soul happy. You can't change that. You can't make that happy. Only God does that. Right? right? And they've chased every kind of money. And by the way, and made more money than, than two or three of us make together. Right? Oh, easily. Miserable. 
You know, you know when their marriage was the best? When they were sitting in a little one-bedroom apartment with nothing. Sweating. Sweating to make a living every day and went home and was happy, with the, happy in the Lord. Yep. What's that? Yeah, and in church being faithful to God and having other Christian friends that strengthen your testimony and, and, and being there for you and encouraging you. By the way, if there's anybody in this room that thinks you don't need this church, you don't need each other, you're sorely mistaken. God put us together for a reason. By the way, it ain't in your power to put somebody in this church, and it ain't in our power in that sense to remove them. It's, we have to follow the Holy Ghost move, moving. We have to follow God's Word, right? Well, you, don't you believe what the Scriptures say, the Holy Ghost brought you here? Man, I do. And you know what? I'd be scared to death to try to do something different. I would be petrified to try to do something different. Terrified to try to do something different. So that's, what are you trying to control? No, I'm talking about me, not you. I'm talking about myself. I'd be terrified. I'm terrified to be, you know, I ain't terrified about being broke. I ain't terrified about not having any money. I'm not terrified. I've been there. I don't want to be without God's power. I don't want, I, I don't want to be, I, I don't want to be without God's church. I don't want to go walk contrary and be out of the will of God. I'm scared to death of being out of the will of God. You send a gang of, of, of devils against me, and if I have God's power, I ain't a bit worried about it. But me be out of the will of God, I can trip and fall and die in three seconds and be done. It ain't a game, man. It ain't, it ain't a game. This Christian life is no game. The one thing is that God sends things your way to sober you up, to teach you. You know what? Don't think you're, you're too big for your britches. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. You better know that every single that you need, you need each other. This world is getting worse and worse. And God's church, we need each other. We need the fellowship. We need the prayers. We need, the, we need to be in the will of God. Our children need to be strengthened. They need to see real loving Christians. Not just men that go out and fight and war outside of the camp, but come in here and love each other too. Love each other through their differences and don't say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to easily discard my brother or sister because they disagree with me. I'm not going to kick somebody to the curb. I'm not, I'm not going to live. We don't live our lives like that. This is not the lost world. When you're done with somebody, you just kick them to the curb and you don't want anything to do with them anymore. No, that's not who we are. We don't do that. If you're going to try to get out of here, you're going, to, you're, you're going to do it with some resistance in that sense. I don't mean physical. I mean spiritual. We're going to pray. We're going to seek God's face. We're going to try, we're going to, try to help one another. We're going to try to encourage you to stay. We ain't letting people go that easy. We just aren't doing that. You can write me all the letters you want. That don't mean I'm going to quit. God called me to watch for your soul. That's exactly what I'm going to do. And you, you and I all have to have, have the duty of being, having watch care over one for another. And I guarantee you, you're right. Most churches don't care. They'll just let people leave and they don't care what they do. They don't care. They don't care if they ever see them again. They don't care. They move on to the next one. Nope. We ain't doing that. We aren't doing that. We're going to love people. And everything you do in this life... Everything you and I do is with heaven in mind. That everything. 
Whether it's a job you take, you better be concerned whether that job's going to take you out of the will of God. You better think about that. If that job's going to take you out of the will of God, it ain't worth it. Amen. If that relationship, young man, young woman, as you get older, if that relationship is going to take you out of the will of God, she ain't worth it. And neither is he. There is nothing worth leaving the will of God for. Nothing. Not your own, not our own lust and pleasures. Nothing. There's nothing worth losing the respect, the love of the respect of God and his and his favor and his fellowship with you. Or that of your brothers and sisters in Christ that are walking in truth. Nothing. I don't care what kind of flash in the pan lady you see out there or man you see out there or anything else. You better just remember that. It ain't worth it. It isn't. The eighth reason against this preposterous conduct, I like how he says that, is that carking care is not only useless in itself, but renders us miserable beforehand. The future falls under the cognizance of God alone. We encroach, therefore, upon His rights when we would fain foresee all that may happen to us and secure ourselves from it by our own cares. What does that mean? Well, it means that you start thinking about the future say, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to lose everything or this is going to happen and that's going to happen and this is going to be bad and that's going to be bad and this is going to... Wait a minute. You don't know what's going to happen. You aren't God. You, you don't know that at all. That's very presumptuous of you to think that you know how God's going to... You know, rarely does anything ever work out how you and I think it's going to. In our minds, we start thinking, oh my goodness, this is going to be the worst thing ever. But that worst thing ever always worked to good, for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. It just, they, it does. Always. Why? Because that's God's formula. That's God's formula for His saints. Right? Romans 8.28, that's God's formula. That's how, wait, you mean even bad things? Yeah, especially bad things. It's not even bad things, but especially bad things. Especially those things work for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. They always do. I don't know how. You say, but preacher, you don't understand this situation. I don't. You're right. I'm not God. I don't understand it, but I know the formula. And the formula always works. Because God wrote it. You know how Dave was telling me a story about him working with Summer on some formulas in, in math. And he, he said that he showed her something that, that would help her and, and, and help her workload and, and make things go smoother and everything like that. And the, and the formulas worked out right and everything worked out great, right? Well, God's even better than that, right? Because his formula is 100%. You can't see that. But God doesn't ask you to see it. He asks you to, he asks, I, I said acts. He asks you. <laughs> He'd be axing you, but he asks you to believe it. He doesn't ask you to see it. Isn't that wonderful? I just can't see that in my... Well, of course you can't. You're not God. He never asked you to be him. He asked you to trust him. So God wants you to trust him. Yeah, but the way I feel right now, the things that are, I'm going through, the trials that I'm... Yeah, I know. God wants you to trust him. That's, he just wants you to believe him. God wants you to believe him. Amen. That's just it. He doesn't want you to play God. He wants you to believe God. You, you let God be God. He'll take care of everything. 
Right? Let God be true and every man a liar. He'll take care of everything. There is nothing beyond His reach. I'm telling you, I've seen things work out just like this shop or the, this um, office over here. You know, the, uh, the, the studio. This, this shouldn't work the way it did. In man's eyes, right? Well, we didn't have the money for any of that. By the way, 90% of it was given from people outside. You know why? Because God used them to show that it was a benefit to them. And they're like, well, we should give to it because it's a benefit to us. And they did. But that wasn't for me. I didn't know how that was going to work out. I just believed it was what God wanted me to do. I just believed God. Remember, the Bible says if you, ha- you have not because you ask not. Sometimes you just don't ask. You ever got to that point where you looked at something and you said, you know what? I've been complaining about this and things have been going bad and all this. I never really asked God. I never asked Him. Right? I just never asked Him for it. It's like, well, did you ever think about just asking Him? Just ask God for it. Sometimes it is as simple as that. Right? How much good is omitted, says one. How many evils caused? How many duties neglected? How many innocent persons deserted? How many good works destroyed? How many truths suppressed? And how many acts of injustice authorized by those timorous forecasts of what may happen? And those faithless apprehensions concerning the future. Let us do now what God requires of us and trust the consequences to Him. The future time which God would have us foresee and provide for is that of judgment and eternity. And it is about this alone that we are careless. We put, mo- we put so much stock in this world and many times we put very little into eternity. All our eggs become in this temporal basket. Right? It's so many times we do that. The ninth reason is sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. Sufficient for each day is its own calamity. Each day has its peculiar trials. And we should meet them with confidence in God. Every day, don't be concerned with what you got to do a week or two or a month from now like that. Be concerned with what you have to deal with today. Be concerned with, live where you're at right there. Live, live with what you're doing right now. It's like you could totally destroy your entire Sunday by worrying about something you got to do Monday. And you could just lose the fellowship that you have and the blessings that God wants to give you. Many times we come to church and our spirit is not that of wanting to worship God and wanting to fellowship with His saints and be filled with His spirit. It's this carking care about something that we have to do later on in the week or, or later on in the month and we become distracted by it. And the blessings are right there. And the strength to get through today is given right there. And even some strength to get through to tomorrow is right there. But we ignore it and we're not filled with the Spirit. And we're not enjoying our walk with God because we're thinking about, oh, i got to do this. Well, sufficient today is the evil thereof. That tomorrow will take care of tomorrow. Why don't you rejoice and enjoy the day? Right? That's what God expects from us. We should meet all our trials with confidence in God. You don't have to be, it's okay if you don't have any confidence in yourself. You don't have to. 
We're nothing to trust in. We should have confidence in God. We should believe that God's going to take care of us. Especially when sometimes we're not even right. We might be wrong. But do you know God never stopped taking care of His children because they are wrong? By the way, you parents, you never starved your children because they were having some problems, right? I'm not going to feed you for a month now. You're not perfect. You're doing some things wrong. You have a problem with your attitude right now, so I think I'll starve you for 30 days. No. What's that? Yeah. <laughs> right? You've never, you've never done that. Why? Well, you wouldn't do that. You, knew, you know that wouldn't solve anything. Now, there are crazy, psychotic people that do things like that, aren't there? There's some real nut jobs out there that, that torture their children and do all kinds of terrible things like that. There are people out there that do that, right? And God has the noose ready for them. It's coming. Judgment is coming, right? No man escapes it. None of these, none of these people escape anything, right? But you know what? We... We would never do that, and God doesn't do that to us either. As we should live but a day at a time, so we should take care to suffer no more evils in one day than are necessarily attached to it. He who neglects the present for the future is acting opposite to the order of God, his own interests, and to every dictate of sound wisdom. Let us live for eternity, and we shall secure all that is valuable in time. If you live for eternity, God will secure everything in time for you. Right? He will. And you and I have to be very careful. Because God deals with the things of today. Jesus dealt with the things of today, right? He didn't, he didn't worry about tomorrow. He knew, man, three days, they're going to... Man, they're going to they're betray... The, he would tell them, hey, three days, they're going to betray the Son of Man. They're going to betray the Son of Man into the hands of sinners. They're going to... They're going to beat him. They're going to crucify him. And they're going to bury him in the grave. And and I'm going to rise from the dead, too. By the way, let's be going. (laughs) That's that's how he'd say it. (laughs) That's how he'd just say it so matter-of-fact. Oh, by the way, yeah, this is going to happen. All right, let's go. (laughs) I I wonder part of the time why they didn't really catch that, you know, like catch on to that is because Christ never lived in this awful state of, like, depression. And that's it. Did he get sorrowful? Yes, in the garden. And we're going to talk about the Garden of Sorrow sometimes, the, the House of Mourning. We'll talk about that sometime. But, but he did, but you know what? He didn't, he didn't live there. He was a mixture of that. He didn't live there like entirely. He would be joyous and he would rejoice and he, he would sing and he would praise God and he would pray, right? And he would give thanks to his heavenly Father and he would eat and he would fellowship with his disciples and he would preach the Bible and he would and he'd preach the Word of God to them and he would, he would encourage them, Right? But he would tell them the truth. Hey, yeah, this is happening. About a week here, they're going to kill me. Let's go. And Thomas looks at him and goes, we will also go with you and die. <laughs> like, no, you won't. <laughs> Not yet. But it is very wrong to anticipate trouble or meet it beforehand if it was for no re- other reason but this that every day's trouble is enough and should not be needlessly added to by an over-concern what shall be done for tomorrow. Or how shall the necessities of it be answered of the trials of it or the trials of it be endured? 
Think about this way. We sometimes think about the troubles that could come our way and the things that could happen tomorrow and all these, and we become consumed with them. Rarely it ever works out that way. You ever been like worried about a meeting you're going to have with somebody? You're like, oh man, this is going to be terrible. This is going to be awful. Right? I remember one time a young man, he was uh, looking to marry somebody. He came to me and he, and he had a conversation with me. He wanted to talk with me. And I, I talked, he was really concerned about the meeting that he was going to have with me and how he was going to, how he was going to talk to me. And, <laughs> and, he, and he told me, told me what he wanted to do and he, and he explained, explained everything to me. And I said, okay, all right. I mean, I'm going to miss you, but it sounds good. It sounds like you're following the scriptures and you're doing things the right way. And uh, he was like, I, I'm really shocked right now. I was like, why is that? And he goes, because I'm shocked at your response. And I was like, well, I'm not going to yell at you. I mean, what did you expect me to do? In his mind, he thought I was going to tell him every single reason why you shouldn't do something, right? Well, I'm not going to. I mean, if, if the Lord leads me to, if I see scriptural reason behind, I'm going to. But why? I mean, but he had that built up in his mind, and he thought that, you know, that all. And you, we all do that. Oh, man, this meeting is going to be bad. And you're like anticipating what somebody's going to say. Well, they're going to say this, and I'll say this. They're going to say this, and then you get there, and then you have a talk with them. It's like, well, this is nothing like it was going to be. Right? Yeah. Because most of it was your imagination. Most of it you dreamed up in your mind that it was going to be that terrible, and it really wasn't. That's why we have to be careful about doing that. It's called evil surmising, and we have to be careful about it. No, it's not wrong to be prudent and to be careful and cautious and look ahead to things, and but... When you become consumed with it and you get sick to your stomach and you can't, you, it's sin then. You're giving yourself over to that. You're sinning then because you're giving yourself over to fear and worry and you're not trusting God, right? So we shouldn't anticipate that. We should have confidence in God and say, whatever I meet with, God is with me. Whatever I meet with, I'm following God's word. When you have that in your heart and you hide that in your heart, God is my Father and I will follow Him. I will obey Him. If you live your life like that, you'll get through everything. Like there's nothing that you cannot get through. Nothing that you cannot get through. I will obey God. I'm just going to obey the Lord. If I live my life like that, then whatever comes my way, God will keep me. Because that's faith. These eight reasons speak against little faith, and they show us we have no reason to continue in little faith, but to grow in the Lord to a stronger faith. We have so many reasons to believe God, so many. Our problems are faith failures most of the time. I don't mean that when trials come up, I mean that when I give over to the fear of those things, it's a faith failure. I'm, I'm, I'm not... I'm. I'm practicing little faith. I'm not believing God the way I should. And I've got to ask the Lord to give me strength and I've got to believe God. Which means I'm going to have to be tested by God. I'm going to have to be tested in the trial. Right? So that it is proven that God is with me and God will strengthen me and God will take care of me. Some of you have faced trials you've never been through in your life fears you've never been through in your life and God is making you face them down. You think, it's, you think sometimes in your mind, well, it's God telling me I must not really be a Christian. <laughs> no, it's God telling you that 
You're being tried. Your faith is being tried. Do you believe God? Then prove it. Walk with Him. Believe Him. Believe Him through all your fears. Believe Him above all your fears. Remember your heavenly Father. Remember how good He is to His creation and how He loved man even more than all of His creation because He sent His Son to die for man. For sinful men. But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, if you're not saved here, your Father is not God. In that sense. The Bible says you're led by the spirit of the children of dis- that's in the children of disobedience. You're lost and you're dead in sins. If you've never turned to Christ, never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, never turned to Him and believed the gospel, then you're without Christ. You're alienated. And if you were to die today, you would go to hell. Because you deserve it. Because God is holy and man is inherently sinful. And you personally are inherently sinful. Without the righteousness of Jesus Christ, we all are. The Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has turned his own way. Mankind is inherently wicked and he has turned his back on God. But God sent forth his son to die on the cross for sinners. And that's you. You who have broken God's righteous law. You have turned your back on God. You have, who rebelled against God. He spared not His own Son, but freely gave Him up for us all. If you would benefit from that, you must be born again. You must be forgiven of your sins. You have a sin problem today. You do not have a heaven problem or a hell problem. You have a sin problem. It's sin. Sin is the transgression of the law, and all unrighteousness is sin. And for the wages of sin is death. You have a sin problem. Your nature is... Inherently wicked. Desperately wicked. And you need a new nature given to you. And that can only be given by the Holy Ghost of God through faith in Jesus Christ. You must be born again. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It is the promise of God to save lost sinners from the vilest of sinners. There is no sinner that is beyond God's reach. No matter how vile you are, no matter how many mistakes you've made or sins you've committed, or how much you've angered God in your sin, God loves His own. He died for them. And He will forgive your sins and He will cleanse you of your unrighteousness if you will repent and believe the Gospel. If you will repent... And put your faith and trust in Christ alone. If you will see that you are lost. See, you cannot be saved until you know you're lost. Until there's been a time where you knew that you were lost. Where God revealed that to you. If there has been that time, then you must turn to Jesus and believe the gospel. Believe that Jesus died for you as as a sinner. And that he was buried and that he rose again from the dead. He became sin for us who knew no sin. He became sin for you and I who was perfect. Jesus never sinned. But He was our propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. This is what Jesus died for, sinners. And He died because sinners cannot be detached from their sin. Sinning is what you do. It's your career. 
when you are lost. It is your profession. What is your profession as a lost person? You are a sinner. That is your profession. That's what you do because that's what you are and you can only do what you are. But when you are born again, you are given the Spirit of God. When you repent and put your faith and trust in Christ, you are made new. All things are made new. Jesus died for sinful men. Hallelujah. What a Savior. To change old, wicked, rotten, devilish sinners into sons of God by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of the gospel that saves men's souls. It is Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It is the blood of Christ that saves, right? It is the only thing that is acceptable to God. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. If you are here tonight and you have never been saved, cry out to Christ, admit your lost condition, go to the Savior and be born again by the Spirit of God. He will save you. He is well able to save your soul. He is well able to change your life. If you told me, Pastor, you don't understand. I'm so wicked. I'm this, I'm that. I've been into this, I've been into that. I know, I was into all of it too. And I couldn't change me. Man, did I try. I tried to change me. Man, I couldn't. I tried to live the Christian life, preach a message and all kinds of stuff. Man, I couldn't. Just wicked as hell. Couldn't change, man. As soon as nobody was around, man, I lived like the devil. And I thought about that one day after that old Baptist preacher preached that to me. I thought about that. How in the world do I live like the devil all the time like that when nobody's around? How, do, how come I never was changed? How come I never had that? I'll tell you why. Because you're lost and you've never been saved. Holy Ghost had to reveal that to me. And he did. He showed me that. It's because you've never been saved. That's why, you little devil, you better get saved. You're going to rot in hell. Whoa. I'm driving down the road, I'm like, ooh, man, this feels bad. <laughs> this is really bad. This is really bad. I knew it was bad, man. I knew it was bad. I was like, this is bad. I told my, I called my wife. She was my fiance. I told her, man, I don't think, I, she goes, what's wrong with you? I go, I think I'm lost. She goes, well, you could do something about it now. All in her mind, all she's seen is me getting into a car wreck going to hell, you know. But God's working. When God's working, that ain't going to happen. God's Amen. working. God's working. Man, I was in the safest place I could be. I was right in God's hand. He had me right there. Boy, you ain't going nowhere, boy. God's got a tractor beam on you. You ain't going nowhere. I don't care. Wild elephants could try to run you over, but when God's got his hand on you, ain't nothing going to stop him. And he had his hand on me, and he showed me my lost condition. Man, I had to go out to that preacher's house and tell him that. I told him, man, I ain't saved. He goes, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> I said, I want to get saved now. I bowed my head right there. Man, I'll tell you what, I lifted my head up after praying to the Lord, and I just wept like a baby. I said, I don't know why I'm crying so hard. He said, it's called relief. That's what that old preacher said to me. He said, it's relief. It's that burden's been lifted. Amen? It's been lifted. You've been made new. Amen? All that weight of everything has been lifted off. Hallelujah. What a Savior, huh? Lifted off. Made new. Praise the Lord. God's good. Amen? And if you are saved, you need to believe God. You may have little faith here, but little faith must mature. 
Little faith must grow up and believe God. Little faith must trust God. We'll talk more about little faith. We're not done. We just, we're just start getting started here. Oh, we're done for tonight. But <laughs> we'll be picking it back up again. Do you know something? It's God's people need to believe Him. I know that's such a simple statement. But God's people just need to believe Him. We just need to live our lives as if we believe God all the time. No matter what we feel, no matter what we're going, we just believe God. And God will give you strength. He'll give you the power to do that. Amen? That's what He does. We are so blessed. I hope you know that. So absolutely 100% blessed. Eternity will only reveal how blessed we actually are. One day we look forward to it. Amen? Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your people. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for salvation through Christ Jesus the Lord. Thank you for the power of God, the movement of the Spirit, the Holy Ghost of God. We love you, Lord. We praise your name. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us, for caring for us, for never giving up on us. Thank you, Lord, for all those people that prayed for me all those years that never gave up. God, help us never to give up on anybody. Help us to pray for them all the way till they're dead. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.